0: tim haig reads books presented by tim haig you may remember survivors in blake seven you may even remember that they were created by terry nation but terry nation's immortality will always be tied up with the invention of the daleks alwyn w turner has written a lively and fascinating account of terry nation's times and career from his radio days with ted ray and tony hancock through the glory years of the saint the avengers and countless others Tim chased Alwyn through a petrified forest towards a steel-covered city while a doomsday bomb ticked its countdown to oblivion, pausing in an abandoned quarry to chat about why Terry Nation's television shows got under your skin.
1: This is Tim Hague Reads Books, and I'm reading The Man Who Invented the Daleks. I doubt there's anybody of my generation who doesn't know that that man was Terry Nation, because if you are of my generation, you were sitting there watching them clutching your dad's knee and being frightened to death by them. Um, The book is written by Alwyn Turner, and you weren't in that situation, because you weren't here back then, were you, Alwyn?
2: Uh, No, I wasn't. The the first I heard of Terry Nation was actually in context with... um Tony Hancock, who I grew up listening to and was a great fan of. And I knew that Terry Nation had written the, uh, the first shows that, uh, that Hancock did after he left the BBC and Gorton and Simpson. And so I knew his name from that. And I think that was part of what intrigued me about, about this as a project, was how you went from writing comedy for Hancock and Frankie Howard and Eric Sykes and all these great people into scaring the life out of generations of small children.
1: Well, that's right, because, of course, before terry nation uh, got into writing for television he wrote for radio which was uh, for, for a long time the the, the dominant broadcast medium and uh, we, we've got i mean you've got him associated with uh, I, uh ted ray he he worked for spike milligan's company didn't he i, don't, I think yeah. spike gave him his first his first break
2: uh yes yeah, spike uh, spike took took him and his then writing partner in and uh, and gave them some some chances to write stuff and uh, he didn't really write a great deal for spike himself but he they they, they were part of the, the 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 kind of factory that was turning out scripts for everybody at that stage and as i say people like ted ray who's not that well remembered now but was a huge star at the time
1: it was such so a, a completely different world one of one of the main things we get out of reading your book and and, and learning about how Terry Nation a got into the business and progressed in the business is that he 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 would never have have been able to break in these days the the way the way it happened for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I, th- I think right the way through his career, the, the, there's that element that you you feel when when you go back to it. What a wonderfully innocent time this was when people would commission series on the strength of very very little. And and not
1: just that, but the 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 sort of makeshift approach to doing everything. You've got a marvellous story about him uh, getting in, involved as, as Hancock's. Scriptwriter, hmm. and then Hancock's doing a tour of uh, of, of the country and, and, and doing shows here and there, and we here and there takes him with him, takes Terry Nation with him for his scriptwriter. Won't use any of the material, but insists on sharing a room with him.
2: Well, I, I, I think that was actually probably his main contribution to Hancock's career. Was uh, he did write a couple of the the TV episodes, but he was supposed to be on tour with him for having written his live material. But Hancock was a terribly neurotic, nervous man who got very scared of new material. And tended to junk it at the last minute and go back to the stuff that he'd been doing for years on the uh, on the, the the musical circuit. And Nation was really there. I mean, in his own words, as a babysitter. I mean, he was and, and Hancock would sit up all night drinking and talking and rambling about the world. And Nation just kind of shares. Do you think that he was story. ever a very good comedy writer? I don't think very good. No, I mean, I think he was uh, he was never going to be the equal of. Of Spike or Eric Sykes or Gortman Simpson, I mean, the, 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 it was a time when there were some incredibly good writers around. Johnny Spate as well. These people were great writers, and he was never going to be a great comedy writer. He was always second division, really.
1: Uh, well, I was going to propose that. I mean, we're going to go on to talk about the Daleks. Of course we are, and of Survivors and Blake Seven and all all these other things that he, mm. that he wrote. And I, I can remember seeing a lot of these things. And I can remember uh, not necessarily being very impressed with the writing, but I remember them. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of TV back then that's completely gone. Yeah. And yet I remember details, actual details from some of uh, Terry Nation's stuff. And th- and I think that's, that's his secret, isn't it? That he does manage to get inside you.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if, even when he was onto his own stuff and it was the the, the fields that he became famous for writing in, technically objectively they're not necessarily the best scripts that have ever been written but they are incredibly compelling i mean he was a very good storyteller um and and if the dialogue sometimes a bit on the clunky side and he's not really that interested in developing characters and there's sometimes inconsistencies and repetitions and so on it kind of doesn't matter you you want to keep on watching and there will be images that will stay with you
1: he wasn't. Uh, he didn't think the Daleks was going to be the big thing, did he? Uh, when he started, he was writing something else. When when he was commissioned, indeed, to write yeah. The I
2: mean, well, to start with, he'd he turned down the offer to to write the Daleks stuff because uh, he was on tour with Hancock, and he felt it was beneath his dignity to be writing kids' TV anyway. And then um, Hancock and he fell out. He stormed out, and on the train back to London, he suddenly realised he didn't have a job. So he hurriedly phoned his agent and found that the offer was still on the table. So he thought he'd do that. But in between accepting the idea of writing a a series for Doctor Who and actually writing it, he got offered uh, the job of uh, writing for a a show that was starring Eric Sykes, which was the important thing. And again, I mean,
1: mean, Eric Sykes, huge figure in comedy. Absolutely, yeah.
2: And and one of the best writers has ever been as well. But Mm. obviously he was getting so much work that he needed other people to write some bits for him. And that was the important thing, as far as nation was concerned. Was, he was—he had this big show coming up with Eric Sykes, and so he had a week to knock out the the first Dalek story, and he did it in a week, uh, writing a script a day, uh, an episode a day rather, and thought no more of it. Yeah, that was that was it. it was, he was—he sent it off to the BBC. They accepted it, and he ignored it. And, but it and, wasn't and scheduled was to, it. to be the.
1: The, uh, as early in the series either I, I, yeah. again, I hadn't realised you see I know lots about this I remember reading a book when I was about 12 by um, Terence Dix and, and mm-hmm. Malcolm
2: Hull. Malcolm Hull yeah, yeah um,
1: uh, about, about the making of Doctor Who uh, by the way really useful I've been, I've been impressing people with my knowledge since I was 12 mm-hmm. on the basis of, of that book um, but the, what they don't tell you in that book is that it was going to be like the fifth a fifth adventure yeah. for Doctor Who, and they
2: had to move it forward. Yeah, there's a, a story that uh, that fell out of the schedules, and they, they, it was the only script they had available. Um, and filming was just about to start, and so they, they they had to go with it.
1: And the Daleks made Doctor Who. We wouldn't, uh, I don't was, think we'd have yeah. Doctor Who now if if the Daleks I'd, had I'd, not I'd, been. I'd, there I'd, they I they think were. that's
2: I think that's generally accepted as as yeah. It was the the the, the ratings weren't very good for the first storyline in Doctor Who. There were a lot of people at the BBC weren't that convinced by it as a concept in the first place, and there were quite a few who would have been happy to see see the back of it. And then the second story came on, and it was Terry Nation's Daleks, and the ratings shot up. And yeah, an overnight—I mean, l- literally overnight success.
1: Uh, so I, know, I understand. Uh, since I was twelve, I, I know that it went from something like five million to twelve million in in one week or something.
2: But yeah, not quite, not quite that extreme. But it would—but <laughs> it was a huge, it was a huge leap that uh, that did establish Doctor Who as. Uh, the regular fixture that it then became.
1: How much credit does Terry Nation deserve for the Daleks? He wrote them, but he, you know, that the, the, what we see on the screen was was designed by um, Raymond uh, Cusick. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, you know, the voice was was designed Absolutely. by somebody. Yeah. How much credit does does Terry Nation deserve?
2: I think all of it, frankly. Um, um, but then, I, I, I guess I would say that. But I think yeah, there's there's. There was uh, Ray Cusick's design, which was then realised by by other people. There was the voices. There was the script editor, I think is not always given credit, David Whitaker, who um, tightened up the speech patterns a lot for the Daleks. Yeah, because um, they were chatty to begin yeah, with. Yeah, the, 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 the nation's script was not... It didn't have that kind of staccato rhythm that you expect from the Daleks. And all these people, and you know, the, the, the operators indeed, who, who did a fine job of doing it, and the, 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 uh, the artists who did the voices... There's a lot of people involved in it, because that's what television is. It's a collaborative medium, and inevitably, there's lots of people in there. Um, On the other hand, my argument would be that you could take any one of those out, and the Daleks would still exist. They'd be slightly different, but they would still be the Daleks. If you take Terry Nation out of the equation, nothing exists at all. And that seems to me that's the relevant bit. And he
1: he did have that central insight that all all, all television monsters up to then had been a man in a suit. Uh, yeah th- that 's what Absolutely, struck me because yeah. i I was watching it um, the day it went out in back mm-hmm. in thousand nine hundred and sixty three I, I was <laughs> very little then mm-hmm. but i I was actually watching that, that okay. show then and, and it was that suddenly there were these television monsters which didn't look like a man in a suit.
2: Absolutely, yeah. For and, the first time yeah. ever. And they, they didn't look like robots. I mean, I know technically they're not because there's an organic life form within and so on, but they don't actually look like robots. Robots up to that point looked like imitation human beings. That was the whole point of them, was to get them as close to human shape as possible. Like in
1: Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Yeah,
2: game. absolutely. And, and, and uh, yeah, the, the American sci-fi movies of the, of the 50s were very much ro- uh, human-shaped robots. Um and yeah, and that was in Nation Script, is they don't have legs. They glide across the floor. And that's a huge, huge uh, contribution a, to it that, that then insight, shapes shapes what the, the designer then does. Mm. Um and so I say, with if if you take Terry Nation out of it then nothing like that exists at all. Um, you know, the dialects simply aren't there. And I, I I don't know, I've compared it to uh Uh, the 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 records of the Beatles if you take Lennon McCartney out then there's nothing there which doesn't say that George Martin doesn't make a contribution as a producer or uh, Norman Smith as the the engineer or whoever you know the arrangers of the various things everybody makes a contribution but still there has to be the original inspiration and the material to work from. The
1: um, story of the name again I've I've carried that for years, but you exploded where the, where the name came from, the dialects.
2: Oh, yeah, well, it was, it was a story that Nation himself put about, that he, he, he got it off the, uh, the spine mean, of an encyclopedia. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, the, <laughs> It's one of the things about Terry Nation is that uh, in his interviews, he did tend to tell a good story. And if it weren't entirely factually based, he didn't really worry too much about that. So he made up this story that he got it off the spine of an encyclopedia that was down to leck. Uh, he admitted, uh, you know, about 10 years after that, that it was a no- load of nonsense. But the story story, though, because it's a great story. And it survived that when he died in the, in the late 90s. I mean, the obituaries, many of them included that story, even though he would you know, it was, it was 20 or more years since he had said it wasn't true. It still survived because it's, it's, it's a better story than it just came into his head, which is the truth that he, he, it just happened.
1: You say in the book that the, the Daleks are uh, uh, an image. It's it's a it's a creation that that has completely outgrown uh, and out outlived its, its origin. It, it, in in the same way that the Frankenstein's monster, mm. you know, has taken on as it were a life of its own. Yeah. and 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 that's that's true of the. You could almost do anything with the Daleks. They did. I mean, the merchandising, and of course, mm-hmm. BBC Enterprises was 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 formed largely to, to uh, accommodate the the, the uh, new revenues that were coming in from merchandise well the,
2: the, yeah I mean that, that, that's uh, off into the, the this this extraordinary piece of luck that he had that the contract he signed didn't assign copyright to his work and toy manufacturers and the like started coming to the BBC after they were after the series was aired saying we want to do a Dalek toy they had to negotiate a deal, but, you know, and, and they agreed that Nation and the BBC would take a 50% cut each. And he became incredibly wealthy on the strength of merchandising rather than writing.
1: And nowadays, that, that sounds like a terrible omission by the BBC, mm. but of course, they hadn't had a dialect before. There well, had the, been nothing that you could merchandise in that oh, oh, yeah,
2: way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, that, that, it, the, the, the concept of merchandising on that kind of scale... Um, I mean, obviously, there have been bits, but not nothing anywhere like the, the, the Dalek mania craze that swept the nation in, in 64. Um, but also, they weren't used to the idea of freelance writers. Um, you know, normally, that would have been, uh, if it had been a year before, it would have been written by a staff writer at the BBC. Who therefore obviously wouldn't be entitled to copyright <laughs> because he would have been on uh, on on the payroll.
1: Not not part of this story, but exactly the same reason that Delia Derbyshire didn't become rich be- when when she realised Ron Grainer's music for mm-hmm. for the theme tune because you know Ron Grainer had a copy had a, had a, a royalty on it, mm-hmm. and Delia Derbyshire was an employee of the BBC and she, yeah. she never. And in fact, he tried to give her um, half the royalties, and and the BBC wouldn't let her. Yeah, wouldn't let her take it.
2: Which is part of going back to. Um, who created the Daleks, uh, you know, part of the issue was people like Ray Cusick who clearly had a big, sh- big hand in shaping the things, what uh, was on the BBC staff and he, he eventually received an ex gratia nominal little payment for having done this, but he didn't share in the uh, in the benefits of it. Uh, and Nation did, but um, it was, it was unexpected, unprecedented and just pure luck uh, that the, the Nation ended up with this, this extraordinary catch, And it card. made him rich. Yeah.
1: And put him in a position to, well, for anybody else to do exactly what he wanted. Of course, what he wanted was to be a successful television writer, and he, yeah. he pursued all these, uh, these other avenues. I mentioned earlier on that you remember the things that Terry Nation wrote. I, I, had, I had no idea that he'd written Water Whopper, that movie mm-hmm. that uh, was. The Adam made with, Faith uh, film. Yeah. The Adam Faith film, which was what year was that?
2: Oh, that was what sixty-one. 60,
1: I think. Gosh, how so long ago was that? Now 62. I saw that on television all mm-hmm. oh, thirty-five years ago, and have not seen it since. And remember it. Mm-hmm. That's the point about television. <laughs> yeah, H, <laughs> and, it.
2: and it's not a great movie. No, it's not a great it's movie. Not, it was it's a terrible. It's movie, not even a great Adam Faith movie. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's not a great rock and roll movie. It's not a great comedy. But it's, it is still... And that cheesy shot some, at the has end. Has some fantastic... Yeah, and the ending is fantastic with the, with the monster. The <laughs> Loch Ness Monster, yeah. which looks like a cardboard cutout mm. rising out. But, but it has it has some lovely little cameos in it. You know, there's uh, Spike Milligan and Charlie Hawtrey and, and some very fine actors in and it. And you
1: remember it.
2: Yeah. Um, so,
1: it, let's talk then about uh, the other things that he did because he, he he wanted then to write other things. He desperately wanted to write... His own serials didn't he? he desperately yeah, wanted but, to but, get the credit.
2: Uh, I mean, to go back to uh, the the beginning of the Daleks, having written the Daleks, having done the Eric Sykes show, um, that, that that he'd seen as taking precedence, um, he was actually trying to get onto the writing team for the Saint. That was what was important to him, because he loved that stuff. He loved the old 30s thrillers, and he wanted to be part of that. Um, and so he was he was writing all that stuff that you know in the sixties. Whilst he was writing the Daleks, he was also doing the Saint and the Baron, and then later, later I have on, no
1: idea of the Baron. I've never. It's seen
2: not. It. It's not a very well remembered series, to be no. honest. And it's.
1: Uh, it's a shame because it sounds interesting.
2: It's great. I, I think they're lovely, lovely scripts. I think they're really good. It lacks a lot because the uh, it doesn't have a very charismatic lead performance. Um, uh, you know, that's what lifts the Saint is the fact that Roger Moore is such a fine actor, and it, it, it he, he, he keeps it in your mind. And he's the definitive version of the Saint. The Baron was never quite in the same league, even when they were just books. The Baron was always kind of slightly, slightly behind the likes of the Saint. Um, and the series has been largely, largely forgotten, I think, probably, but un- unfairly because it is, it is a nice action adventure show.
1: The, the big ones, then, that uh, that he—I mean—because he wrote for everything. He wrote, mm-hmm. wrote for all sorts of series. But the ones that bore his name then uh, were, were The Survivors and Blake's Seven. Yeah.
2: Um, Survi- yeah, now- The Survivors and Blake's Seven are the two that he created after. Mm. Yeah.
1: Now, again, with The Survivors, or no, it was just so The Survivors. Survivors. I keep yeah. wanting to give it, it the, the yeah. definite article. With Survivors, um, I saw it at the time and mm-hmm. remember it. I remember details from it. And I, I, one of the things I remember very clearly is that the first series was a lot more interesting than the second
2: which he didn't write. I think write. that's true, yeah. No, he, he, he left at the end of the first series. It, and then they turned had, it into a soap opera. It was not... A, I, there are still some very good episodes in the second and third seasons, but it is the first one that I think is better. That's a um, great idea. And, and, I mean, and it, it really it
1: formed a, a large yeah. part of my expectations of, of, uh, of a narrative mm-hmm. is what happens if this, yeah, and this... And Survivors is premised on the idea that uh, most of the world's population is killed off by a, a disease, and then the few who are left have to try and make a new sense mm-hmm. of the of the, yeah. of the world and yeah uh, that that had an enormous impact That's a, a terrific idea it's 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 not actually a terribly
2: original idea uh, no no ways, absolutely that, but the treatment has been done original. it's been done before and been done since
1: well almost but, everything that terry nation did had been done before in some oh yeah time.
2: no absolutely i mean it, 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 even, even with the daleks you can see the precedence you can see where he's which hg wells books he's he's read and that he's drawing on you know there's always influences from (laughs) outside uh, uh,
1: reading your book uh, by about the 15th reference to the caves of steel the isaac asimov book we we no but you're right (laughs) he tended to repeat himself yeah Uh, he tended to go back to his sources over and over and over
2: yeah
1: and again you make the point that it was a pre-dvd age if he repeated something 10 years later on television, that audience would not remember what he'd done before. It didn't matter so much. I, th- that, so that's,
2: I think that's very important to remember because it is one of the criticisms that's leveled at him is that he did repeat
1: but plot he- lines
2: and concepts mm-hmm. and, and images. It's a, it's a, a complaint that has... Is- Arrived more recently, it wasn't voiced at the time.
1: No, because if you missed Doctor um, Who in 1966, you'd missed it.
2: Yeah, they they didn't repeat. I mean, again, when you say that you 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 saw Survivors just once when it was on, that's because it was never repeated. I mean, it, it, it's as far as I know, I don't think it has ever been repeated. It's out on DVD and mm-hmm. it was out on video, but it is. It, it, it didn't get a repeat showing at the time, and yet it stayed with with people. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people remember that show because it was. It was popular at the time, um, but then a lot of stuff is that gets discarded by your memory. Um, and as you say, it's, it's, it's the power of those images does stick with you. There's, there are episodes that you just can't quite get rid of.
1: Mm, there, there are, and, and similarly, in, in in some ways, with Blake Seven. Blake Seven is almost moving into the slightly modern era of, of television, though it's it's a, a, you, you can see it beginning to be part of modern television. But of course. Terry Nation was one of the, uh, the influences on creating modern television. The, Indeed, yeah. The, you know, the arc of a, of a narrative going through a series, mm-hmm. uh, as, as you, you point out, was, 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 not, um, was not invariably the case. In
2: No, I mean, it, it, it was a, a new concept at that stage. I mean, normally what you did was you, you made a series that had very discrete episodes so they could be shown in any order. Um, and the idea of having a, a, a narrative arc that's stretched right across the entire thirteen-episode series was not really a, a very good idea. But you because... can't
1: imagine X-Files made in any other way. These
2: Absolutely, days. yeah. No, it became it became standard. But as, as you say, he helped shape this, and he he did with a lot of it. And 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 one can concentrate too much on what he was influenced by and where he where he got ideas from without and, and, and lose sight of the fact that he was also breaking a lot of new ground.
1: How important was Blake Seven? That that was the one that that established this arc of, uh, of narrative and and the the cliffhanger endings, which again, mm-hmm. uh, oh, cliffhanger endings for for a series, yeah, uh, for a season they call it, a season, yeah. cliffhanger, which again was an innovation. Then, how important is Blake Seven?
2: Well, I th- I, th- I think that in itself is is a huge contribution to to the shape of popular television as as, as we ex- we know it now. That that wasn't around. The idea of a cliffhanger obviously had been, I mean, you know, that was the basis of all those Republic SF movie uh, series back in the, um, the 30s and, you know, all, all, uh, the, the Dan Dare and stuff had always had cliffhangers. But the idea of leaving it at the end of a 13 week series, knowing that you weren't going to come back to it for another nine months. That, that that took a certain amount of courage that you left people hanging for for that amount of time
1: and killed people off all the because it was Blake's three by the time it finished. well indeed
2: right? well I mean by, yeah by the th- the third season it wasn't Blake um, <laughs> no. which which was really a huge That's thing the, the idea that yeah I mean this
1: Janet Leigh in Psycho being killed off isn't it you, yeah. you, you don't expect your lead character to be yeah
2: and this is yeah. You know, uh, we're now talking in in the days since Taggart when it's it's, it's not unheard of anymore but at that stage I, I, I don't think there's a precedent for the title and character disappearing from a series and the series just carrying on with the same title as though as though nothing had happened but but that was largely because the actor playing Blake wished to leave but he was also capable of killing off characters You know, halfway through the second series, one of the originals is killed because Charlie Sheen on him, did he? (laughs) Indeed, yeah. You didn't. You didn't didn't wait for that. You just. He 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 wanted to get that element um, in Blake Seven, particularly of of a sense of danger that you couldn't just assume that your favourite characters were going to stay around. Um, They could get killed because. That was the that was and the that nature of the storyline because
1: you, in in you know in a James Bond film you know that James Bond is going to be mm-hmm. um, alive mm-hmm. and priapic at, at mm-hmm. the end yes. in the final scene you know he is so no matter what danger is in mm-hmm. it's very hard to get any 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 real sort of sense of tension about that
2: yeah it's like a disaster movie in, in the classic seventies uh, tradition you can spot which ones are going to live and which ones aren't from you know the first reel it's fairly clear who's going to mm-hmm. be there. You couldn't with Blake Seven. You had no idea who was going to live and die.
1: What's the best writing that Terry Nation ever did? What what do you uh, um, sort of um, cherish most of his?
2: I, I I think technically the best stuff is the first three episodes of Survivors, uh, which form a, a single narrative. He doesn't use cliffhangers at all. It just runs straight through, and is that that amounts to what two and a half hours, I guess, of, of television with a single. Uh, a, a, a single driving plot line. I mean, there's several threads that then gradually coalesce.
1: Not not like him as well, because he wasn't one for the for the long haul, wasn't Terry Nation. He found doing um, sustained mm-hmm. things uh, quite quite hard, didn't he? He, he liked well, to it, sort of punch you on every page and give you something.
2: Yeah, but but on on Survivors, he let himself spread a lot more, and and is is a slower development of of things, and there are long bits where people. Stand around talking without, without the big ticking, a, a ticking bomb, which is yes. which is his normal way around that, these things.
1: That the thing, though. He, he used the same things over and over. You know, running through a petrified forest mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, the, the the city covered in a in a steel bubble, and, mm-hmm. and, and all the things that he used over and over and over. And it it doesn't seem to have slowed him up at all. That he
2: no, uh, well, and, and a lot of it is is stuff that he got from uh, from what he read and what he watched when he when he was young. I mean, he, he was a big uh, Alfred Hitchcock fan and. There's that great quote of Hitchcock where somebody said to him, How long should you show a kiss for on screen? And he said, It doesn't matter as long as there's a ticking bomb under the chair. And and he took that very literally, you know, that that was what you did. If you if there wasn't enough tension then you'd have a countdown going on and something would be ticking away and you knew that there was danger involved. But with survivors, uh he 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 turned his back on that to some extent and uh, and and created this uh much slower and rather, rather disturbing piece, I and mean, part of which is that there's no incidental music in it, which wasn't his decision. It wasn't; you know, it, was, it was just an accident of the, of the filming. Uh, the yeah, it
1: was a strike, wasn't there? Yeah,
2: and and therefore the uh, the schedule got much tighter, and and they didn't have time. But a happy but, but accident, it, it, it absolutely, because you get these long shots of of deserted English countryside with no music, and it becomes really rather unsettling because it's, it's not what you're expecting, and and that. That was one of the things that changed with the when they, they did a remake of it a couple of years ago, and filmed it in, in a modern style, which does have music virtually all the way through, and there's there's a much much more created sense of tension. You know, you can you can feel somebody uh, directing you, um, and I can see the point of that, but I think I think people who are who know the original slightly regretted that the you know, it, it, it punched it up too much rather than just letting things take their own course.
1: In the end, it's the Daleks, though. The Daleks are what, what are going to be forever associated with his name. And yeah. the Daleks are Terry Nation's immortality.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. And it, it happens rarely that somebody creates something that lasts that long. Um, you know, you say Frankenstein's monster, you know, or Sherlock Holmes or Dracula... The people who created these things don't tend to do it a second time, I mean Conan Doyle to some extent with Professor Challenger but uh, even that I think largely, largely fading, um, it's, it is rare to, be, uh, to, to create something that has that longevity and that power and, and that you know will outlast you and will be taken on by other people and taken in new directions.
1: The book is The Man Who Invented the Daleks, The Strange Worlds of Terry Nation by Alwyn Turner. It's £20. It's out now from Aurum. And a uh, cracking good read. Thanks. Thank you, Alwyn. Thanks
0: very much. That was Tim Hague Reads Books, presented by Tim Hague. Tim Hague Reads Books is a Green Shoot production. More details can be found at www.green-shoot.com or Tim can be contacted on Tim at